0: Hello everyone, I'm Nick Atkin, Chief Exec here at Yorkshire Housing, and you're listening to Raising the Roof podcast, the show that brings business leaders and industry experts together to pick the hot topics in housing and the world beyond housing as well. And today we're talking about one of my favourite topics, which is about recruitment, but also retention. Joining me today, because it is a hot topic, is not my usual two guests, but three, all of whom bring their own unique knowledge and perspective on this topic area. First up is James Leighton. James, despite his youthful good looks, has got 14 years experience of working in the housing sector he's the ceo of anderson james and that for those of you who don't know it is a business that's centered around both the private and the public sector housing market and he has a team of about 35 people that serve the sector nationally Now, unfortunately, James has got through our normal recruitment, very rigorous recruitment processes, because he's from the wrong side of the Pennines in Manchester. So normally we don't (laughs) let those dirty Lancastrians into a Yorkshire podcast, but we've made an exception because we like him and because he knows his stuff. So welcome aboard, James, who is a fellow podcaster. He hosts the Housing Industry podcast, which I genuinely was really, really chuffed to be to be a guest on recently. And by the sounds of it, I was lucky my invite made it all the way to yorkshire because james struggles with with anything on the on the right side of the pennines but on a serious note james is a an active ambassador of diversity within the sector and is a, on a real mission to shine a light on all the great things that our sector does and that's probably needed more now than a, than at any time before he's created several diversity strategies for housing associations that have been fully implemented and he's also led to massively improved diversity and inclusion across their business as a result of that. So that's a little bit about James. Uh, My next guest is Suresh Lau. And now Suresh, with even better youthful good looks, is approaching his 16th year working with the social housing sector. So The only thing I take from this is that the longer you work in recruitment in the social housing sector, the younger you look. Suresh has worked across a a whole vast array of housing associations. He's got a contact book to die for every time I see him. He rattles off a whole list of people who who I've been trying to get to see for years. And he he has coffee with them on a regular basis. And he's made a number of key interim appointments across the sector, including the interim chief exec for the Homes and Communities Agency. Agency, which was a precursor to to our existing funding agency, the Homes England. Uh, now, Suresh works uh, across all disciplines, but unsurprisingly, given the financial climate that we're in, his current portfolio is weighted a little bit more towards finance. So, if you are one of those finance people, Suresh is looking for you. But he's also looking for anybody involved in building safety and governance as well. So, you really want to know a little bit more about Suresh, don't you? The real stuff, not the business stuff. Well, firstly. I have to say, he's the best dressed person in housing. Whenever we meet, um, I, also, I always end up asking him where he's got either an item of clothing, or his shoes, or a bag from. But apart from being a snappy dresser, he's also uh, a massive petrol head and a huge Formula One fan. And he's been to several races across Europe. And he's even revealed to us that there are negotiations at home about a trip to Vegas. Up for the new race there next year. So good luck with those negotiations, Suresh. And last but by no means least is our very own Sarah Hutchinson, who after 10 years in HR working in financial services, she made absolutely the right decision to join a Yorkshire Housing during lockdown in 2020. And I suppose joining at that point in time meant that she had to think very differently about how we did things almost from day one. And that included recruitment. And it is interesting that one in three of our 750 colleagues have joined us since lockdown started. So clearly she was doing something right at some point. She's been instrumental in finding different ways to assess candidates to make applying for a job at at Yorkshire housing a lot easier and a lot more inclusive, and that might well be something we we talk about shortly. And you know, she gets some great feedback from from candidates, so very much the proof is in the pudding. And I'm also pleased to say that she's joined me. She's donned her running shoes, and this year she ran her first 10k for our charity of the year, the Fab Yorkshire Air Ambulance. Outside of work, Sarah is mum to a three-year-old, and so she's got immense knowledge of Bob the Builder and Batman. But I think it's fair to say today we're probably Probably going to focus more on her HR and recruitment experience. So there's our guests. Now let's get into the issues and start talking about all things recruitment and retention. So I'm going to kick things off really and bearing in mind that everybody on the call has done a lot of work around diversity inclusion. I suppose I'm really interested in terms of how we can use some of those skills and experience to recruit in a truly inclusive way to, to attract the very best talent and I suppose to this one off come to you first if I can James.
1: Yeah I looked at this and I think firstly coming across the sector over the last couple of years I think we've lost a little bit of impetus in some of these areas especially given the other challenges that we now face in housing but I think the first thing that we would always recommend to a business is to look at what your actual EVP is and I think a lot of people that are looking for roles in the sector at the moment are probably using your website, your twitter, the way you talk, the languages, all the different things that you will use to attract people to your organization and the thing that I see quite a lot is that there's not enough case studies and stories and success stories on some of these websites to understand like is that employer a really inclusive place for somebody to work and I think one thing that we've assessed recently is we use a little bit of video technology within our interview process and without naming names and companies and stuff what we've observed over that time using videos if I say that out of a hundred videos those that come from different backgrounds or different diversities, they they generally don't get viewed at the same length as those that are white, British. And I think that we've got a piece of work to do in terms of the unconscious bias and the education within our teams to make sure that we are genuinely looking to recruit in an inclusive way and that we're giving opportunities to all within all diverse spectrums. And I think the first thing that I think we can do in that is to look at potential within the sector. You know, I'm serious, Suresh is the same We go and speak to chief executives and and, and exec directors quite a lot of the time. And it's the same question that comes up. You know, we want a diverse shortlist. We want to see certain characteristics on the shortlist. But actually, what ends up happening is that they pick the same person that they were always going to pick from that shortlist because they had the 10 years in asset management. They had the 15 years in finance. And actually, I think as a sector at the moment, we probably need to start looking at How can we look at other industries, other sectors? How can we bring people in from other environments if the role doesn't need a specific skill? Some businesses are really demonstrating that and others are a long way away from that. But certainly we've looked at adverts. And I think one thing that the sector sometimes has got wrong is that we start to do things like, can you send us blind CVs? We don't want to have bias within our organisation. And I feel that all that happens in that situation is that you delay the bias, you know, and actually there's an education piece internally to make sure that your organization is doing everything it can to be inclusive in the way that it recruits. So yeah, that, that'd that be my first thoughts anyway.
0: It was really interesting then what you said about sort of blind CVs and blind applications, but then just that, that all that does is delay the, the buyer. So how do we break that cycle? Have you got any tips or tricks for, in terms of practically, so that you know, my worry james is that we're in this position in in 20 years time we were talking about this 20 years ago and yeah. and it feels like we've made some incremental sort of improvements and changes but i don't think we've really made the wholesale change that many of us were at that time were hoping for so any thoughts on tips or tricks then yeah. you know that that people could employ to try and break that cycle
1: i think we've got to look inside our businesses to start with and look at different groups of individuals that can help us design our recruitment process. That's the first thing. And I think very often I see that our recruitment processes are created by the same people that don't understand their unconscious bias. You know, I've gone through a massive journey in the last two or three years to understand my unconscious bias, and I'm still on that journey and learning. The other thing that we've started to do a lot more of is when we're looking at panel recruitment, and and sometimes that happens more at executive level than it does at, at your lower level roles. We've got to look at diverse panels that are going to interview and that are going to be part of that recruitment process so that colleagues that don't want to have unconscious bias can get a better process put in place so that we're recruiting the right people. And I think that's one thing we've seen have the biggest impact. The other thing, as I've said, is is that we start to look outside of the sector. You know, if you're recruiting a chief executive in the current crop of, of housing and you're looking for diversity, as an example... Well, obviously, like, you're not going to necessarily find that. So we've got to look at ways that we can promote within and look at other sectors to bring in those inclusive skills and those diverse skills.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the most impactful training sessions I went on was was earlier this year around Easter. And it was a subject, interestingly, of, a, of an earlier uh, podcast in this season with Akin from AKD. And, you know, he, he really sort of lifted the lid on unconscious bias and i think that's had a massive impact through through our organization definitely recognize some of what you said there about recruiting for attitude and not skills you know i'm not really bothered about about whether somebody's got 20 years experience of doing x i'm more interested in terms of whether they've got the right behaviors and the right values set to to sort of really you know deliver that customer obsessed business that we're aiming to, to achieve and I know many others are as well so that's great sort of kick off So, Suresh can I come to you same question really just you know from what you've seen and experienced you know where where are you at on this and, and where do you think you know
2: housing housing could go and how could we get there I think that's a really good question I think James has has covered a lot of ground there in a relatively short space of time so If I can add a kind of personal angle to it, if you don't mind, which is looking at organizations, and this is also about me trying to find individuals. If I look at organizations first, the ones that have been very successful at this or are becoming more successful at this are organizations where they almost take the inclusivity and diversity aspect out for a second and we put business into that process instead. And what I mean by that is let for the sake of argument, and I hope this never happens to you, Nick, that you got in trouble with a regulator. Something goes drastically wrong at at Yorkshire Housing. What would you do in that scenario? You would create a process where you would have a plan of action. You would create, uh, you would get a number of individuals from around the business and you would fix that problem as soon as you possibly can. And you would have a plan and a set of milestones and goals that you need to reach to regrade your business back upwards or or to achieve whatever success looked like. So let's take those emotive words, inclusivity and diversity, and put them back into that model. We can, and why shouldn't we, be doing the same things? If we're sat there as an organization and looking at ourselves thinking, we don't look that representative, how are we going to change that? And and I don't mean just a tokenistic one or two appointments to make it look like you've done some diverse hiring. That's not sustainable, and, and it's the wrong thing to do. This should be a long term plan, cultural change within an organization with those milestones and with those goals that are achievable to make a sustained change over time. So, again, let's for the sake of argument, if you've got nothing today, let's hire one individual by the end of this year. And that becomes two. But you've got a goal of achieving, let's say, 20 percent of the board being from a diverse background in four years time or whatever it may be. It's going to be a long and hard process, but at least you've got a plan of how you're going to get there. This isn't just pick it up and play and just adding the odd one person here and there. For me to find diverse candidates becomes tricky because it's in And I've got to find somebody who can fix the problem for you tomorrow. But I've also only got about a day and a half to turn that problem around. So I almost have to have those people in my portfolio already. So I'm trying to do that before any of you even give me a job. So I'm already out there speaking to people who potentially might want to be interims one day or who are coming towards the end of their careers and think you're not retiring. Come to me. I'm going to use you in a different capacity. And we're trying to build a, a more diverse range of interim management consultants from that way of doing things.
0: Fantastic. And really, really sort of usefully builds on, on some of those earlier points that James raised. So no pressure, Sarah, we're, we're now going to come to you. What, what's your take on this?
3: I think being inclusive, Nick, has been um, massive on our agenda over the last few years and the way that the market is at the moment and how difficult it is to attract the, the best people with the amount of jobs that are out there, it's, it's just becoming even more important. And having that diversity in our workforce is just really essential, you know, in terms of how we're supporting our customers and, and how we're delivering the business strategy. We've been working on lots of things recently around how we just make it really easy for people to apply for roles. Long gone are the days where we're asking for a long application form and a CV. And then a five-stage application process. We're just making it really easy. So we've we've had a really big successful campaign recently where we've just asked people to register their interest, and then we we simply just pick up the phone to them and have a conversation and make sure that actually are we right for them and and are, are they right for us.
0: Wow, that's um that's a big shift in approach. How how do people like me who perhaps been through the employment process for a few years? How do how do they sort of respond and cope with that?
3: A lot of people are finding it really refreshing. Everybody that's been out there looking for a job, it's kind of... You have to put that time aside to start searching through the internet to find a role and then you' you click on to apply and and, and the application stage is just just takes forever and it can be really disheartening especially when you get an email back at the end of it saying I'm sorry you're not successful and you've wasted 45 minutes filling in an application form people coming into the workforce you know they, they have different expectations now that they're, they're not they're not of the, the generation that have, have been used to that way of recruiting so we've got to meet meet those expectations.
0: So I'm I'm clearly uh, I'm clearly in a generation that's uh, that you're not looking for anymore, Sarah. So I'll I'll, I'll not I'll not be playing. Although, I- we'll absolutely
3: find a job for you, Nick. Don't worry.
0: <laughs> that's what worries me, Sarah. That's what worries me.
3: I think the, the other thing that, that we've been doing differently is around how we're, how we're assessing people. So, you know, historically, people have been brought in for an interview. We're asking people that actually when they start work, they don't need to turn up in a suit and tie because that's not what's expected of them. But actually, through the assessment process, that's what's kind of expected. So, you know, really sort of ripping up the rule book with that and looking at things differently, so, getting them to do practical assessments rather than an interview. Some people just don't, don't fare well in an interview. And, and actually, why are we putting them through that when that task or that sort of environment isn't what they're going to be working in?
0: Yeah, I mean, it is interesting, isn't it? Because the, the traditional recruitment process basically you, you end up recruiting the best actor on the day. Is it more about getting to know the person rather than, than what they've done in the past? Is that, is that where the focus is at, Sarah?
3: Yeah I think it's about understanding people's values and, and what's important to them and you know understanding whether actually their values fit with the, the values that we're looking for at Yorkshire Housing. I think that's, that's really important. A lot of skills you can you can train and you can people can learn. The experience is obviously important it's really important because we, ne- we need that balance but definitely you know from a, a values point of view that that is a really important thing and and just getting to know someone and having a conversation with them.
0: Yeah and how's that helping Yorkshire Housing be a more
3: inclusive employer. It's about opening it up to more people. So people that might be put off by a lengthy application process or might not fare well necessarily in sort of your formal interview situations. It sort of opens it up to allowing people to be their best and show that show their best in those in those scenarios. We've done things like for our some of our trades roles is basically just bring them into a, a void property and show us how you would work a boiler or how you how you do the electrics. You know, we, we don't necessarily need you to sit around a table and tell us that you can do it because Actually, a qualification show you can. We want to see you do it. We want to see how you interact with customers, because that's really important as well, because the people that are out on the front line, they are interacting with customers on a day to day basis. So we need them to be able to do that and to have that sort of right mindset rather than just being able to to do the, the technical bit of the job.
0: Thanks for that. That's really good. Let's move this al- along a bit. Now we've we've warmed up and really stoked the fire of conversation. And let's move to the whole sort of point around flexibility and and particularly in terms of how we recruit and retain the very best talent at a time when there's what about 1.3 million job vacancies in in the UK. From all of your perspectives, you know how f- flexible really is. It is the recruitment landscape and how important is flexibility when you are trying to attract candidates. So Suresh,
2: we'll come to you first this time, please. Again, I think I might have a slightly different view to James and to Sarah on this one, because of the vast majority of the work that they're doing is, is on a permanent basis. So on the interim side of things, flexible working has existed for many, many years. I've, I've built a, an interim network now over the last 16, 17 years And for many years, the the guys that work with me, uh, the people that work with me, go wherever I send them. They're they're there to fix the problem. So I have individuals who live in Liverpool, but have worked in London for many, many years. Likewise, they might be living in Somerset, but I've sent them up to Manchester and Leeds. So they have worked in a context of, you know, you leave the house on a Monday morning and don't come back till Thursday or Friday evening, weekend at home, and then you play that same game week, week in, week out. So when lockdown happened and people started to move to this hybrid fashion, it was working from home to begin with, wasn't it, completely. They they were quite easily kind of flipped to that and and actually it worked for them. It was in their advantage. They didn't have to go and travel and stay over for nights on the end. Again, the hybrid fashion works really, really well for them because they can travel long distances, stay over one or two nights now rather than four or five and come back and spend much more time with families and at home. So the flexibility side for interns is, has been a really big plus because we're getting time back. We've we've always worked in the fashion of going wherever the, the work is. So actually now we can, we can use that resource in a different way. I think there's another part to that, which is around how does that impact on an organization in terms of flexible resource? There is a trend that I'm starting to see, which is people are retrenching from being too flexible. You know, don't come to the office at all. Actually, there are roles now where I think people should be in the office. And what do I mean by that? If you look at some of the asset management or some of the property-related property issues, we've got the dreaded, two words, damp and mould at the moment, which are high on everyone's agenda. You know, We need people who are there on site, who can see, smell, touch the damp and the mould and see what extent the problem is. I think that also gives reassurance to the customers that we're doing something where visibly, physically, we're there. Look at it. Again, if I've got these scenarios where I've got somebody who's based in Devon, but the job is based in Newcastle, and then they're not physically not going to be on site, I don't think they would have the same impact. I don't think they could do that role as well as somebody who was easier to get onto the site and, and easier to get to those locations. So that's, we're definitely starting to see clients now ask us, for somebody who's more local to their offices and their stock.
0: That's great. And and that's why I very much came to you first, because I, I knew that entry market pre-COVID, you have to work in a different way, don't you? So, James, can I come to you next? Because uh, I am really interested in, in sort of this war for talent at the moment. And, you know, have you seen a shift in, in applicants in terms of what their expectations are, for example, from employers and whether they are, how much weight are they putting around, flexibility of of the working offer versus say for
1: example salary? On the back of Suresh's point, actually, I think it's changed. So if you'd have asked me this question 12, 18 months ago, I would have given you a very different answer, I think. People are very open and honest about flexibility now. So it's it's a it's not a mute point anymore. It used to be kind of ooh do the offer, don't the offer. Most businesses in our sector offer a variety of flexibility options. I think if you look at it from a company perspective, and I think one thing that Yorkshire Housing do really well without blowing smoke is that your offering's clear, okay? Like it's places a work's a place that you do, not a place you go, I think, is your your saying that I remember from when we had the podcast. And I think that's a great way to be really clear about what your offering is. What we're realising in the marketplace at the moment is that some people love being in an office and some people love working from home and there's a hybrid between the two and actually the sector in some cases went too quickly to right let's get rid of all our offices sell off all of our property everyone works from home now they're struggling but on the flip of that coin those businesses that said you need to be in the office five days a week are also struggling what we're learning from this experience is that employment's about choice and actually some people love collaboration some people love to work from home some people and that's role specific that's uh, generation specific in some cases and that's what your service to the community is as well you know like we wouldn't ask someone to do a remote job that's working with our tenants and our residents but what I'm starting to see is people want to see colleagues in person and they're enjoying that personal interaction more than maybe they were two years ago when people were happy to work from home What I'm seeing most is that people want to be able to be engaged, regardless whether that's remotely or in an office environment, they want to be engaged by their management team, their leadership team, and they want to feel connected to the culture of the organization. And that's never changed. But I think one thing that companies have got to be better at is being clear on their offering. You can't one minute be offering flexibility and the next minute telling people to be in the office. (laughs) Because we have had some cases where people have taken roles with flexibility, and they're now being told we want you in the office five. And that's just, That's not the right approach either. For me, there's a really healthy balance. And one thing that I think is really good is collaboration's king. And everyone wants to be able to collaborate, whether that be remotely or or, or physically. We'll see businesses as they start to struggle in the new environment to start to try and bring people back to the office. And that could be a mistake.
0: Yeah, absolutely get that. And I, I think you're right about it's giving people choice. And I think far too many employers treat their employees like children very paternalistic tell them what to do when they can do it how they can do it the one thing covid taught us is actually to to sort of break those shackles and reset some of that relationship and i think for me certainly at at yorkshire housing where we have gone hard and fast on this but we have got as you said james we've got a, a fantastic collaboration space which we opened in June, 2022, you know, the the point of that is about retaining really good people as well as attracting really good people, because, and I guess this, this goes against both your business models. So apologies for this, but you know, my take on it is why do people let really good people leave? Because actually for every person who leaves that post, that role is in effect not operating at optimum levels for 12 months because somebody applies for a job. So they're immediately distracted, probably only 90 percent sort of focused on the job then you know they're successful they hand the notice in normally that's a month two months then you you know you sort of go oh right we've got to get around to recruiting to that role so you start recruiting process that's another three months then somebody sorry two months then somebody starts maybe sort of six eight weeks later and then it takes some sort of between three and six months to get fully effective so for every single role that becomes vacant, you are losing a year's worth of productivity. And I never quite understand why organisations behave in a way I suppose that that encourages people almost to leave and want to go and and sort of you know find find something else, something better. So, great points there. Um, thank you. I'm now going to come across to our resident Yorkshire housing guru on all things flexible working and recruitment, Sarah. Back to you.
3: Yeah, flexibility as you. Quite rightly, no, Nick, it's again been massive on our agenda. And I I think really sort of getting people to understand what we mean by flexibility. It's not just doing compressed hours. My personal view is actually compressed hours can sometimes be more restrictive, but I appreciate it It works for some people. And, you know, it's not just flexibility in terms of hours. It's in terms of where we're working and, and how people are working and it's a real fine balance to get really to make sure that everyone's working and being productive whilst having that flexibility when you're talking to candidates you know that that were that have applied for roles flexibility is really important but i think it's now become an expectation of people rather than a benefit i know a lot of organisations used to sell flexible working as a benefit actually i think now it's it's just a given and i was reading something the day actually about by 2025 65% of the workforce will be generation z and millennials which is massive really if you think about it and and so it's about understanding what's really important to those generations with the world of work and as I say you know flexibility to those people is just expected as a given so we've got to look at more so whilst I do think flexibility is changing the 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 sort of the recruitment landscape I think it's more than that we've got we've got to do more
0: picking up on some of that we've we're in a position where we've got in excess of a million vacancies in the UK at the moment and and you know still record levels low levels of unemployment so what are you doing to make Yorkshire Housing stand out from the crowd and and attract that that very top talent?
3: We're doing a few things really Nick from things such as I mean our brand is helping massively it's it's really eye-catching in terms of the adverts that we're doing through some of your most platforms like linkedin and um, we're really sort of getting the the attraction through that way but also thinking really differently so thinking about the, the type of role it is that we're we're advertising and that we're looking for and thinking about okay so where are the people that want these roles all hanging out when they're looking for jobs you know, using Facebook campaigns have been massively successful for some of our trades roles, and you know, although we are trying to go digital wherever we can, actually sometimes just putting a poster up in the in the local in the local merchants' counters. You know, I, I know you probably won't, won't like that, Nick. Same paper, <laughs> but but you know what? We we've got to be inclusive, and we've got to be we've got to sort of make ourselves seen in the areas where those people are on a daily basis.
0: Yeah. I presume you're not you're not putting those up in any uh, any merchants in Lancashire though, are you, Sarah? Because yeah, we're a Yorkshire based organisation. So we're inclusive, but but we do draw the line at anybody from Lancashire, don't we?
3: Well you do know I am from Lancashire. I do, don't you? yeah, I'm
0: winding you up. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing.
3: <laughs> I, dro- I drop a few local when I go home every now and again.
0: <laughs> okay, so we are running out of time as is always the way on this podcast partly because I talk too much and I and I don't sort of rein in my guests but today's been great and I didn't want to sort of jump in on some fantastic and, and rich points that are being being sort of discussed here but my fir- final one and And this really is, I guess, for for yourself, Suresh and and James, I'm really intrigued why some employers choose not to, to advertise salaries. And from your sort of professional advisory point of view, what impact does that have on recruitment chances and opportunities for employers? So... Who wants to kick off? I'm not going to be prescriptive on this one because I know Sarah wants to come in at the end because I know she's got some strong views on this one. So one of you dive in
1: first. This is a really interesting point, especially in the public sector. In the private sector, it is cloak and daggers around salaries. Like people don't advertise, they don't want to know. People are on different bandings, different salaries. In the public sector and in the housing associations, I don't understand it. I think we should be advertising salaries. I think we should be advertising packages and we should be giving candidates the opportunity to decide whether to apply or whether not to apply based on all of the facts presented. Because all you end up doing is getting someone interested in an opportunity and then telling the salary at the end and that puts them off for whatever reason. or And the flip of that, you're actually misleading someone into a process that doesn't want to be there and I I just think that we're not in a sector where people are paid massively different I think the reason that companies aren't advertising salaries is because of external perception and where they benchmark against other organizations but I'd like to see companies advertise salaries and I think it would help the market and encourage more people to apply for roles I wouldn't apply for a role if there wasn't a salary on it so I'd want to know what I was getting involved in.
0: That says it all, doesn't it? So, uh, Suresh, over to you.
2: Yeah, I think this aspect of advertising salaries, I think it started because it was a psychological scenario around attracting as much talent and being as as inclusive as possible in the hiring process. I believe it came about because some of the studies were showing that men in particular would apply for roles above pay grades or or above where they were, even if they only had half of the job description they could do or fulfil, half of the desired and the essential criteria, whereas females would be like, I, I don't think I can do that. The desirables and the essentials, I've only got some of those factors, and wouldn't apply. Or they might see the value of the figure, the salary, and say, well, it's pitched at 25, 30k more than what I'm on, I'm not going to apply for that role. And it was stopping some of the individuals applying for those roles, because psychologically, they'd already rule themselves out. Whether they could do the job or not, they'd rule themselves out. I think the impact of that, though is. And I I would agree with James and what he said there. Would I apply for a job if I didn't know the salary? No, because actually I think it's gone the other way. You're not being inclusive. You're not actually telling the whole story. We often see roles that say competitive and maybe that's because you don't want to tell your competitors what you're paying for the same role. I, I get that. But at the same time, I think you're going to end up getting applications pretty much from the same sets of people. You'll have a 25-year-old grad who's just come out of university who's still applying for chief executive roles because he think he can do everything. And then you've got others who still won't apply for the job because they're not sure or they're not confident enough to, to reach out for it. And that's where our role comes into play. You know, James and I will go and tap people on the shoulder more often than not to say, listen, I think you're, you're strong enough and good enough to do this. Why haven't you applied? Or you should apply. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely against the not advertising salaries i'm not sure that it has the inclusive factors that people think it does
0: yeah absolutely i'm going to turn to to sarah now who i i know will be chomping at the bit for this one because I know she's got some strong views on it so Sarah what's your take on it?
3: We absolutely advertise salaries and and I genuinely don't know why a company an organisation would choose not to you know you talk about trust you talk about openness and and actually that starts from the very moment that a candidate sees an application it wastes it wastes the candidate's time which is a bad experience it wastes our time I don't know and it's something we will absolutely continue to do at Yorkshire Housing
0: yeah I, I think you need to come off the fence Sarah and, and say what you really think and be a bit stronger in your views on some of this so absolutely okay so the sands of time are quickly running against us so we're on to the quick fire round so it's a really sort of quick and and easy sort of answer to this but as I know all three of our guests um, are like big kids what do you want to be when you grow up Suresh I'll come to you first
2: Nick, I think you've been talking to my wife because she asked me the same question about when I'm going to grow up one day, what I'm going to do. <laughs> but in all seriousness, if I think about it, what I'd really like to be as I grow older and greyer is somebody that people can talk to, that people recognise I have some element of advice or something that I can pass on to them, that I, that I would hear their voice, that I would give them honest feedback, opinions that I wouldn't kind of judge them in their character and that they could speak to me. And, and there's something that kind of bugs me. And I, 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 I've often said this to close friends and to, to others and anybody who will listen, actually, is I see, often see people posting these inspirational quotes on Instagram or wherever. And, and I, in my head, I'm thinking, don't post an inspirational quote, be one. Oh, why are you posting somebody else's metaphors and, and lovely stories and, and ways of living? Be one. Be an inspiration to somebody. Oh, what a great phrase. Lovely. I know it's profound, Nick. Uh, you know, I always give you a soundbite whenever we speak.
0: You have just opened the door to banning me from Twitter, I think. Now, uh, every time I say <laughs> an inspirational quote, I'm going to have a rant.
2: If you are going to use that uh, on Twitter, you have to use hashtag Suresh's voice. Well, I will do. voice.
0: We'll get that trending, Suresh. We'll get it trending. Oh uh, James, how about you? What do you want to be when you grow up?
1: Uh, I don't know how to follow that now, to be honest. Um, I think for me, it's all about, as I've said in the podcast, you know, I'm lurking on my unconscious bias. I want to be a more empathetic, inclusive leader. And we're on a mission at Anderson James to create a real people over profit recruitment business. And that's that's my whole focus. If I get there, I'll be really proud. And that's and that's what I'm aiming to do.
0: Great stuff, great stuff. These weren't the answers I was expecting, actually. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I was
1: going to say so a superhero, and then I thought, <laughs> I don't know
0: where we're going with this. <laughs> I was expecting Formula One driver for us, yeah. so, so with that, I'll go to Sarah and say, what do you want to be when you grow up, Sarah?
3: Uh, Nick, I think this one has got to be a professional shopper. Uh, <laughs> I spend the majority of my time online shopping. And yeah, I think, I think if, if somebody could offer me a job doing that for a living, I would absolutely bite their hand off.
0: Always a place for you in our procurement team, Sarah. (laughs) Okay, so it's nearly time to close the door on this podcast. And I think just a a quick few takeaways for me, apart from some of those final statements, from, uh, particularly from Suresh and James and what they want to be when they grow up. Tone of voice, really important. Think differently about how you recruit and make it easy. Learn from, from other sectors where clearly this this is working a lot better and also interestingly that whole point that has resonated through about unconscious bias and my reflection on that is unconscious bias is only unconscious when you when you don't know it's there as soon as you know it's there it's conscious bias and that's that's a very different conversation so i want to say a massive thank you to to all three of our guests and equally a massive thank you to you the listeners for choosing to tune into this episode please remember that all of our previous episodes from season one and indeed this season two are available via your usual podcast providers our next episode is all about well-being and how that can improve engagement so please remember hit subscribe and ensure you don't miss a thing but for now ta